0: If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to
1: podcasts.
2: You must learn to listen to The Rebel and the Rogue, or you
3: will not be allowed to come with me to Alderaan. Need to make a call? Look for a police call box. That's where you'll find Two on Who, the new Doctor Who podcast from Electric Surge. Two on Who is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman,
2: and this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious
3: trek experts. Although today we are not Trek experts, we are war experts. I don't know. I don't Does know that... if
2: that makes any sense. I, I don't... Are like. Are and, you well versed? And, and we're not.
3: Are you well versed <laughs> in the Napoleonic era? Are you well versed in in, in in World War II? No, no that's but not... I'm
2: I'm I'm one with the force, and the force is with me.
3: Well, how? Fortunate. How wonderful. Because (laughs) we are going to be talking about a very, I mean, I know it's sort of like getting peanut butter in our chocolate, but we are going to talk about Star Wars today. And I'll tell you why. Why? Because, you know, look, we, we, we've talked about this in 1977. We grew up on a little movie called Star Wars that changed our lives. Everyone knows and everyone's talked about, but in the last, there's been a remarkable, remarkable television show called the clone wars which this week is coming to its conclusion and i felt it would be remiss of us not to pay tribute to this remarkable show because we've said in the past they don't make them like they used to anymore but this is a show that's just so brilliantly done as was its successor series star wars rebels but before we introduce our special guest i want to welcome back our returning champion the man the myth the legend he is the writer of Thor and X-Men First Class. He's a TV producer, writer, who's worked on such shows as Black Sails, Surrey with the Fringe on Top, Fringe, uh, uh, Terminator, the Saracana Chronicles, and currently working on a top secret show at a major streaming channel, which shall not be named. And that, of course, is Ashley Edward Miller.
4: Thank you guys for having me. I am very excited to be part of what I like to think of as a private little Star Wars
3: <laughs> and now for our special guest but we're out of time we're we're done so uh we we're very we're very lucky and very, we're thrilled to have with us um one of the great talents behind The Clone Wars, the story editor um, on, on The Clone Wars. He's a comic book writer. He's uh, a TV writer, producer. He's done a ton of stuff outside the Star Wars universe. So amazing shows. Most recently, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. He's working on a new top secret project, which we also cannot talk about, from what I understand, unless he wants to tell us. And uh, he also uh, was running uh, part of the team that ran uh, Star Wars Rebels. And we're thrilled to welcome Henry Gilroy. Hello, Henry.
0: Hey, hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm stoked to be here. Um, I, I feel like I'm a little part of the heresy because Trek is part of the title of your show. And
3: here I am, the Star Wars guy, but... Uh, I'm, I'm tired. it. You know what? We found the format is somewhat elastic. You know, Darren and I had a little conversation. W- you know, I really last year wanted to cover the 40th anniversary of the black hole. And Darren told me I was on glue and I probably was. <laughs> and, uh, nonetheless, I reached out to Robert Forster, hoping I could change Darren's mind. And Robert Forster said, I would love to do the show in a couple of weeks. Um, and I figured that was enough time to convince Darren that we could do the black hole. Well, unfortunately, and it's not Darren's fault. Robert Forrester then died, and so the Robert uh, the Black Holes uh, episode went away. But we 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 sort of tested the waters by doing an Aaron Gray episode where we talked about Buck Rogers earlier this season, and it was one of our most delightful episodes. Wouldn't you agree, gentlemen? Life luminous. It was, was my face. It was it was great. So, you know, with Clone Wars coming to an end, I just felt look, there are a lot of Star Wars podcasts and people, YouTubes and things. And I wanted to give it the Trexpert's treatment. I wanted to, you know, have a deep dive where we could talk, you know, in depth about a show that, you know, some people, maybe a lot of people in our audience aren't even aware of. You know, they think, oh, it's a cartoon, right? They probably think, they don't realize that it is one of the most compelling pieces of Star Wars mythology to come down the pike since... uh, well, since the original trilogy. So anyway, enough, uh, enough talking about how great it is. I want to I start by asking you, I mean, you, to the best of my knowledge, you, your involvement professionally with Star Wars started when you adapted The Phantom Menace as a comic book. Is that right? Yeah,
0: yeah actually, in probably about five years before that, I had started doing some small, short Star Wars uh, stories for Dark Horse Presents hmm. and Star Wars Tales. And uh, somebody at Lucasfilm said, "Hey, you know, we should get the guy you know who did the Star Wars tales, but who also knows how to write a screenplay to maybe do the Phantom Menace adaptations." And it was funny because I think eventually that became the same reason how I got involved in the Clone Wars project was, "Hey, this guy knows animation, knows Star Wars. Why don't we bring in someone who can kind of help us put this together?" So I'm very fortunate, um, you know, to have been chosen by the producers, and then you know, George, you know. Approved me early on too, so I. You, know. you were the chosen one.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you brought balance to the force. <laughs> we we, uh, it's interesting because you know it was fan. Minnesota marked the beginning of spoiler culture in a sense because back when we were young, when Star Wars came out. I mean, the novelization came out. What was it? Six months, a year before the movie even arrived right. in theaters. Right. Um, the comic book came out before the movie. And so I think now, you know, everything is sort of under this cone of silence. Let's uh, get smart reference for you oldies in the audience. (laughs) And, uh, but you know, the Phantom Menace, the first issue came out before the movie opened. So, I mean, that still was, that's unthinkable now, isn't it?
0: Oh yeah. I asked actually that we push it back. Um, And Dark Horse laughed because they go, no, no, no. We want to do as much sales as we can beforehand. You know, that was a huge part of it. Another part of that, it's a little insider story is I had been sent um, the phantom in a script and it had my name you know engraved on it or whatever the watermark and then once it was announced I was going to be doing the adaptation like in uh, 1997 I think um, people started to try to find out where I lived fans Mm. wanted to know where I lived so I was so paranoid about the script that I actually before I left the house I would hide it in the attic, underneath the insulation, so I probably wow. inhaled all sorts of like fiberglass particles, like getting the script out and putting it back in. But I was so paranoid. Once I heard, that, oh my gosh, Henry Gilroy is adapting *Phantom Menace*. We need to find out where he lives so we can go. Like, I figured it was harmless enough uh, that they probably just wanted to, you know, try to ambush me for coffee and, and get spoilers. But um, yeah, or, was... steal <laughs> or steal the script, or steal the scripts, right? <laughs> <laughs>
3: you know that's so funny because i when i was writing the bond book um john glenn said that uh, when they were doing octopussy it was that famous 1983 the war of the bonds and never say never again was like the director john glenn yeah the director not the astronaut (laughs) and uh and and their production offices were actually very close so one day john glenn left the script for octopussy in the back of his car and when he came back it had been broken into, and it had been stolen. And he says, I'm not accusing the people who made Never Say Never Again of stealing it, <laughs> but it was very convenient, so. Oh my goodness. Uh, but that's, <laughs> a great story. I, I mean, that's that's wild. Um, now, how, did you just read the script, or did you actually get to see the film in advance? Were you seeing rough cuts? Uh, how um, did that work? Yeah, I mean, they weren't
0: letting any footage out at the time, so most of the materials we were giving with the scripts a few storyboards, um, but mostly it was going to be still framed. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very important for George that the artist, Rodolfo DiMaggio, draw the characters to look like the actors. I think in previous adaptations, they aren't you know, as specific about it. But George, in his mind, he wanted the comic book to be the movie on, on a printed page. I think because he was very happy with it. I tried to add... Um, thought balloons and kind of narration here and there. And he was like, no, 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 just, just adapt the script. So. Mm. Um, it's, it's funny.
2: Uh, I'm very good friends with Rodolfo. Okay. I've, I've worked with him on several shows. He's and, great. Uh, he's great. And he's a, a brilliant artist and uh, I, I love his work in everything.
3: Yeah. You know, it's, it's so funny when you look at how the Star Wars comics, which you worked on for quite a while evolved because of course, if you go back to the early days of um, the Marvel comics, you know, you had the hoo jibs and there was no attempt to really, you know, tell, uh, uh, you know, respect continuity or tell oh. what is really a Star Wars. I mean, and and, and it had the hyperbolic covers, you know, of, will Princess Leia survive the man eating, you know, whatever. And it's, uh, it, it, it's pretty amazing how much like, you know, the shared universe is now taken over movies, how much more serious Star Wars got about their, storytelling in graphic form.
0: Oh yeah. And I mean and there were definitely they talk about the different canons. Um, you know, G Canon was everything that George hit on, which was the films and then like the T V series stuff. And then everything else, the expanded universe, was everybody else, although he would draw from it when he wanted to, whether it was in the Clone Wars or even the Phantom Menace, right? So yeah, he he loved um all Star Wars stuff. He would You may or may not know this, but he had the option to purchase any um, Star Wars comic book artwork first before anybody else. Mm. So his option was if there was a cover or a a page he liked. This is even after he sold uh, the franchise, he was still buying like, oh my gosh, I think Terry Dodson's uh, um, work on uh, the Han Solo book. He he was just such a fan of the art when you walk around his place at Skywalker, you can see that, you know, he's got a Frazetta cover or a painting up
3: on the wall. And
0: uh, I, I wonder
3: if uh, that'll show up in the museum, you know, the, the, obviously the Lucas museum, which will be opening. I don't know if it'll be next year now, but in the next couple of years down at uh, by USC um, it'll be interesting to see how much that stuff materializes. Um, so excited about that. You know, I was thinking about the lead time and I've told this story before, but it still vexes me to this day, but you know, back when these things were released before the movies opened, the Star Wars super special of the Empire Strikes Back came out before the movie opened. And I was in middle school at the time. And this kid, this asshole, this prick, uh, Lance Shulman comes up and says, Mark, you got to see this. I got the the comic of Empire Strikes Back. And oh. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to see anything. He says, no, you got to see this one thing. And he opens <laughs> it up and I'm like, I am your father. He goes, Yeah. And I'm like, I wanted to kill him. I, I, it's amazing that I didn't kill him. And I mean, to this day, I tell that story, and it still gets me angry. You know, you, you can know, still oh,
0: kill him. You know, I'd be the first spoiler murder,
3: right?
0: I mean, <laughs> imagine it would
4: be like the worst procedural episode ever, right? They're trying to figure out a motive and who could have done it, and it finally comes back to, the, and they're like, "What? No,
1: no.
3: I almost <laughs> forty years ago. I almost tried to track him down on Facebook and torment him." And um, and I, but I didn't. I, I, you know, I decided to be a, the bigger man. He's so... our guest next week. <laughs> <laughs> the glorious Drexler is
0: with Lent Shulman. Darren, <laughs> so, if you can make that happen, you know. Uh,
3: <laughs> ratings. You know, remember that show where it's like, this is your life, where, you know, where they would bring people and reunite them with people mm-hmm. they, they knew growing up, and like Holocaust survivors who would be reunited with the people that... I mean, I could see Darren did, pulling this off. Yeah. I, this I, I, is <laughs> your death. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, Lance, you know... <laughs> Lance Shulman. <laughs> oh, my God. It, it's like, cleaning woman? Cleaning woman? Lance Shulman? Ah! <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my kids know not to mention that name in my house, but uh, it's been immortalized. Anyway, anyway so you, you, you're doing the comic books. You had the success of doing uh, the Phantom Menace comic. Um, and now you get approached to do, as you mentioned, um, The Clone Wars, the most expensive animated series in television history um, and ambitious, I would add. Tell me a little bit about how you were approached and sort of the initial stages of developing this for television.
0: Um, this is always difficult. I think whenever you come to a series um, with a brand new studio, this is Lucasfilm Animation's first thing that they're going to try to do. Now, I'd, I'd been at Warner Brothers Animation in 1989 when they were just kind of relaunching with Tiny Toons and uh, Batman, the animated series. And also later on, um, oh my gosh, with uh, the Hasbro and the Hub when they were starting off with Transformers Prime and GI Joe Renegades, so the there was nothing. I think my first office was actually a copy room. So nice. literally, I I shared um, office space with a Xerox because there was no infrastructure. I mean, I, we were just like ten people just starting to try to get going. And I think there was definitely um, a perception early on that you know this was going to be something Lucasfilm just knocked out, you know, sent out. But I think once George got invested in it, and this is something that happened pretty early on too where he said, you know what? I'll see you guys maybe, you know, once or twice a year. I'm retired. He Kept saying, I am retired. I'm not going to be involved in this, really. You guys are just going to make this cool, you know, animation thing, whatever. Dave and I, very early on, said we can't do that. We have to make this thing as cinematic as we possibly can. This is Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni. Yeah. And so we committed to, like, in our mind, let's make bite-sized versions of Star Wars. So... When we did our early renders, um, George was surprised. He was completely unexpected. Uh, I, I think of what we were going to do. He goes, "Oh, you guys want to make cinema? Like you're not going to just make a cartoon." Right. And so we went from maybe we'll see you once or twice a year to one meeting a week and then two meetings a week. Wow. Um, so he would basically kind of drive up um, from San Rafael and and want to sit down with us and talk whether it was story and, you know, review characters. He, he was just excited about it. Mm. And and having him invested in it, I think was really the best thing to happen to the show. Because I've got a not,
4: billion questions for you about that. So first of all, let's, let's kind of scope the problem a little bit. When we say that The Clone Wars was the most expensive animated show ever made. Um, so about how much an episode are we talking about?
0: Um, <clears throat> honestly, I don't know exactly
4: right
0: and and the reason why is i think early on they were definitely aiming for a smaller amount to spend but here's the problem when you're starting up a studio and you're building the pipeline oh and you're also building a pipeline for a cg show that's a more ambitious than anybody right i would be sitting in a room <clears throat> and george would go like yeah and this you know this, this this week we're gonna go to three planets and the, the producer would, would angle herself to sit behind him, and she would be like one. One planet is all you get. For you right? and, your and, and he would know what she was doing. He said, don't listen to her. You're going to three oh, planets.
4: <laughs> wow. And I but think it actually... Had have, <laughs> it had to have an impact on the storytelling, right? Because you had to, number one, build up all of those assets... Um, so that you had them. I'm sure that that put limitations on your ability to tell stories, whether George wanted you to have three planets or you could afford it or not, right?
0: Oh, you're absolutely right. Because we started off the series with, you have nine characters. The good thing is, is you have clones and you have battle droids. And the great thing about clones was people don't realize this, early on in the series, we only had one clone head, which was Rex. Mm. The first few episodes, Rex does not take his helmet off. You know why? Because we didn't have his head built yet. We literally could not afford to have clone heads. And then once you started have clone heads and you could give them different haircuts and facial hair or whatever. So um, the, the nature of a show like that and in Rebels to a certain extent where the bad guys are all in suits of armor. I mean, George did it himself in the original Star Wars. You know, he only built five suits, right? And then reused them. So we definitely used every trick we could. But as time went on, George wanted bigger. More immersive sure. stories with a zillion characters, and and so the, the, the show definitely wasn't meant to be the most expensive show. Ashley, I think it was probably <laughs> like you know what it'll be middle of the road. But I think the great thing about having someone like Georgia goes like, oh yeah, I want this to be bigger and better. And then the creative freedom that he gave us to actually write and do crazy stuff was was really um, yeah, it's inspiring. You know, it's a kind of a dream come true to have that kind of a producer behind you.
3: I have a question from a fan here, um, who who did some research for me about the show. He wants to ask a question, so if you would be uh, be so kind to go ahead and absolutely ask your question. Okay, uh, let go, go ahead. Uh, okay. Because you're the real warsper. He
0: he appears and disappears Warspurs. like a ghost. It's really yeah.
3: right now. Okay. Go, go ahead, sir.
1: Okay, so what was it like when you heard the Clone Wars was canceled and you were moving on to Rebels?
3: Um,
0: That's actually a great question. I had left Clone Wars before it had been canceled. So uh, when I had the opportunity to come back and and work on Rebels, I was pleasantly surprised because it would give me, hopefully, the opportunity to write those characters again. So I was sad on one hand. That they didn't get the chance to finish the Clone Wars, but on their hand, I was happy that there was gonna be more Star Wars in animation. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. And also, okay. what clones do you find the best creating?
0: Oh, it's funny, we were just talking about clones. That's a good oh, question. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, there's two clones on the, in the Ryloth arc Waxer and Boyle, who I liked a lot. You know those guys?
1: Yes, some of my favorites. Oh, Who's awesome. Who's your favorites? What? Some of them. I, I still have a lot. My favorites.
0: You like Which Fives. One? Who do you like? Oh, Fives. Yeah, yeah Steve, I love Fives. Steve Melching created uh, Fives. Echo. Um, I I always uh-huh. have a fondness for Rex too. Captain yeah. Rex. I yeah. always loved.
1: He's he's always been there. Main clone of the thing of the show.
0: Do you know what? His, I have a question for you. Do you know his original name?
1: CT seven five six seven.
0: Oh my gosh. I'm amazed that you know that already. <laughs> That's super impressive. For That's my ex wife's birthday and mine. So anyway. That's um, funny. <laughs> um but secondly, um he had a name before that. And I I originally named him Alpha. His name like, was originally Captain like, Alpha.
1: Like Alpha seventeen.
0: Exactly. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah.
3: He, he knows everything. So and George, okay, thank you for those great questions, Isaac. <laughs> well, you got one great more. Thanks, okay, we gotta be—we gotta move on. Make it quick. On <laughs> we got more, a lot more questions for Henry.
1: Yeah, I just although got, these are good. <laughs> yeah, I just got one more. So, what Clone Wars arcs will we have gotten if the Clone Wars never was canceled? Because I know there would have been season seven and season eight.
0: Um. Well, you're getting a bunch of them right now.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. I think there was. Um, gosh, you know what, I don't think I'm allowed to talk about those because they might show up in other forms, mm. unfortunately. But what this means is there's more Clone Wars stories coming probably. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. oh. and here's the thing. Do you know where the name Rex came from? No. So George has this um, tradition of naming favorite characters after his dogs. And so he had a dog named Rex, and he named Captain Rex after his dog.
2: Nice. And, of course, Captain Rex was the name of the droid in Star Tours that pilots the uh, Star Tours speeder. Really? Yeah.
0: I did not know that. Yeah,
2: the one that Paul Rubens uh, gave the voice to. Captain Rex in the cockpit.
0: Wait, doesn't he... The, but they spell it like w-r-e-x or something right I, uh, it, 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 it may be r-x he always rex yeah oh okay right 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 he, okay you rex. know i, w-
3: I want to take you guys back for a second because you were telling the three planet story and then uh you know had you had the one clone now you know for for certainly for all three of you it, it, it you understand the challenges of working in animation. But I think a lot of people still think in animation, what's great about it is you can do anything, right? That is the misunderstanding. It's like, it's only as, you know, as your imagination, wherever your imagination takes you. But the limitations Except give
2: the characters heads. <laughs>
3: yeah. but you let them walk. <laughs> there are so many limitations in cost. And can you explain, you know, why it is that that, that you're limited by budget and time? And of course, the challenge- of the fact that what you're writing and recording, you're not actually seeing the animation in some case, not only months, but years later.
0: Yeah, um, boy, that's such a huge question. I I always liken it down to like when you're doing CG, something as as simple in live action as cloth simulation. Um, To try to do that in in animation is extremely difficult. Like I can have a laser battle with characters flying around and shooting off the walls or whatever, but don't ask a character to take off a sweater (laughs) because (laughs) it's so difficult to do this, the claw simulation. So I think when people say, Oh, you can do anything with animation, it definitely helps you tell fantastical stories and create aliens and create, I think alternate worlds. There is something really powerful in animation that, but for every CG character, someone still has to build that. So that means that they have to design it you know, like Darren, and and then we've got to model it and then color it and texture paint it and then rig it and then animate it. So that's every single character, so. And um, then
2: change it because someone doesn't like
0: it. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. That's,
4: like they don't even have heads, but somebody wants to change. Right. So like, There's so many things that um, we, we take for granted in live action, like Aaron Sorkin would fail in animation. Because Aaron Sorkin likes to write walk-and-talks, right? You kind of put the action in there. Oh, they're blah, 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 blah. No. In animation, you know what's really hard? What's easy is a bunch of ships flying around or things flying around that I can't name, blasting each other and shit happening and blood spurting. What's hard is two assholes having a conversation in a hallway. That's impossible. Like, yeah. that's just, that's like, can, we, can they just stop and, and talk to each other just there and, and not be on the move? That's the kind of thing that um, that makes animation difficult. So the 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 problems um, of it are are just they're just different. It's it's like Henry said, um, you know, it really opens you up in terms of uh, what you you can achieve in terms of design. And there are certain things in execution that you can do um, that are easy that in live action would be hard. But things that just feel like the simplest the simplest thing in the world And animation is. It's just, it's moving a mountain.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and even the subtleties in animation uh, uh, versus live action. If you're on a close-up of an actor's face, a human actor's face, and he says a line, let's say he's got a big block of dialogue, you will be compelled to watch that actor's face if you like it, because he's putting so much really subtle acting bits of emotion into that. You're never going to get that same connection with the CG puppet basically or a cg actor or you can it's just usually not on a television budget you yeah. might achieve it with a pixar or something like that so it's a different kind of storytelling definitely um and you just have to be aware of it i think the great thing about is animation is is i like guess was saying you can do um it lends itself to cinematic storytelling which is kind of uh, like larger scope like you were saying big things shooting at each other whatever they are um, which brings more spectacle um, but it's, it's it takes extra work to get those smaller kind of more intimate moments and, and we definitely tried to do that um, in clone wars a lot of times by I don't know just finding the emotional reality of the scene I mean and and what's a better form for that in my mind than war telling war stories I think um, and and George having the guts to go like oh yeah you want to wipe out this entire band of clones you know for this story go for it where um, (laughs) nobody would want to do that in children's television before
3: Clone Wars. And now this wasn't necessarily geared towards kids. I mean, it was being marketed towards kids and adults. But I I do want to ask you, because we sort of glossed over this. Obviously, you talked about George Lucas um, sort of getting passionate about the show when he saw what you guys were doing. But tell us what it was like. Obviously, you grew up on Star Wars. George is sort of this legendary figure, Uh, what was it like when you first met him and found yourself working with him? And then also you have to get over being starstruck at some point and do the work. And you have to be willing to say, no, that's a bad idea. Can I pitch you something else? You know, did you ever get to that point?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I probably got in trouble uh, for that. I mean, the great thing about George is he has like a two kicks of the can rule where um, you pitch an idea. And if he says, no, you have one more shot to go. Well, here's why I think it would work. And if he says, "Oh, go try it," then you're good. And if he says no, you never bring it up again. Right. right. And and I think like somebody who's kind of come down the road and and done as much as he he's earned that. Also, he's he's your boss. So right. yeah, like the first meeting I had with him was really surreal because it was like, "Great, you got the job. Get on a plane, fly up to San Francisco. Like literally, it like I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning." Fly up there, um, literally walk in, get arrive at Skywalker, walk into the Stag Theater. It's myself, Dave Filoni, and the producer, and you're going to screen um, Revenge of the Sith two weeks before it comes out. Screen it, and then immediately go into a meeting with George, and talk about what the series is. And you're standing there like, wow, that movie is mind-blowing. I just like a, a moment to process it, but you're sitting out with George, and he's like, oh yeah, you know, what do you guys want to do? You know, what is this? What is this animated series? So that that was like a mind blowing experience just to have that I'm sitting watching this movie for the first time. And then, then 20 minutes later, I'm eating a salad next to George. I'd never met him before. Um, So that was a a fantastic um, moment, but uh, early on um, Dave and I made a commitment to try to treat George like he was just a human, like the rest of us. You know, I mean, because if you think about it, it's like, man, the, the guy is responsible for modern cinema. I mean, never mind the, the Pixar and the the non-linear dead editor, all of that stuff mm-hmm. that he's responsible for, and genius, and still sharp as a tack. Um, he's just a guy, and he will react to ideas like all of us will. So on Fridays when we'd have our meetings with George, usually there were lots of what we call chickens running around with their heads cut off George is coming George is coming we used right. to make a we used to make a joke like the emperor is coming here That's um, right. <laughs> because everyone <laughs> was happens. waiting <laughs> yeah the,
2: the middle management people freak out and oh that happened God. when I was working on a, a Spielberg project same exact thing
0: yeah 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 and we couldn't we couldn't react because yeah. it's like okay we have to go in there and be creative and pitch our ideas with confidence and if he doesn't like him or whatever I mean I think probably for the first month he would just make fun of us for being such Star Wars fans, you know? I remember one time I gave him a picture of um, a nemoidian and I go, oh, I wanted to make a Jedi this, this character. Because a lot of times, like, he's like, he would make fun of us for knowing the names of all the aliens. Because, you know, you know, some guy in Britain, you know, named all those guys. So it wasn't me, <laughs> which I always like, it always cracked me up. Um, anyway, so he looked at the picture and it was a printout from uh, from the internet of a nemoidian From I think the Cantina scene. And he he looked at the picture and he looked at me and he looked at the picture and looked at me and he goes, You know what this is? He says, This is shit. And he crumpled it up and threw it in my face. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like did I somehow end up like in an abusive relationship? with <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the most powerful filmmaker of all time. And then he like took it and um, and he said, ah, I gotcha. And he basically said, oh, these man. guys are bad guys. These guys are bad guys. You know, you don't make it one of the bad guys, a Jedi. And I was like, oh yeah. So he was totally trolling me. And I was like, my so face like was white.
2: So you're uh, saying he's a racist. <laughs> is what you're basically
3: saying there? <laughs> yeah, <pretty No>. <laughs> terrible! You are so terrible. Clones look like You had this huge canvas because basically, at the end of Attack of Clones, you have and the Clone Wars have begun. They have, and then Revenge of the Sith. It's the end of the Clone Wars. So you have, you know, and everyone's been talking about this literally since Star Wars came out, right? Since seventy seven, everybody the Clone Wars, the Clone Wars, and then they sort of exist off screen, you know, and 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 we never see them. So you have this giant canvas how do you go about painting that? And at the same time, look, let's be realistic. They were very divisive films. You know, some people, they're their favorite Star Wars films. You know, other people, you know, are are not as fond, let's say, as not as fond of those movies. So how do you go about sort of painting that canvas and figuring out what that show is going to be and what the sweet spot is?
0: Um, it's funny. Originally, um, I had pitched a document that said, "Oh, you know, just for CG, we should do four episode arcs, uh, like a one pager," because I figured that's the only way we'd be able to like afford to make the show. Mm-hmm. But early on, George was like, "Oh, let's go over here, and let's go do this. I want to do an episode about that. I want to do a episode about that, about um, that." And then that sort of kind of evolved back into the, the original thing I pitched, and I always. I don't know. I kind of, my favorite war movies are kind of the war movies that influenced him, which were those sixties war movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like battle of the bulge, you know, force 10 from Navarone, like all of those yeah. bridge on the river, Kwai, you know, Lawrence of Arabia, all those movies that we love, um, I know that he loved. And, and so I was basically thinking, okay, early on, we'll do those stories. We'll do a bunch of war stories. But I think as the series evolved, it became form to do all kinds of stories like a femme fatale story or to do you know a a, you know a science fiction story or a fantasy story or a story about terrorism i think that's the great thing about star wars is and especially the clone wars during a time of war you can tell stories that are probably every single genre because i think we did westerns you know what i mean And, and besides just war stories and fantasy so there's no so all...
4: way it kind of became star trek i mean i don't mean i'm not being uh facetious either i actually mean that I, I think like one of the things that i've loved watching clone wars um with my son uh and we've binged it uh over the last few months until we finally caught up is that it does have that star trek feel in the sense that um you know these stories can happen anywhere anything can happen um, there are these people that we really love and we believe in who are at the center of them, um, you know, wrestling very often with these uh, with these moral questions like the adventure is great. The imagination is great. And I think a lot of that um, that kind of storytelling spirit really infuses the Clone Wars. It's one of the things I appreciate most about it, although really my favorite episodes are, are whenever Bail Organa is on screen talking about banking regulations. I am. <laughs>
0: Oh, rivet. <laughs> you're a liar. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. <laughs> I know you're a Tordarian fan. Oh hell! Yeah. <laughs> Could you talk
2: a little bit about the early days and the uh, actually um, looking at the progression of the visual development? Because it, uh, to me. Um, it looked like you guys were trying to keep it from looking CG at any cost and making it look like it was, no, seriously. Uh, and making the backgrounds, the backgrounds look just like a feature film.
0: Yeah, They look I mean, very
2: real, but the characters are very stylized and uh, almost like puppet animation.
0: Yeah. It's funny you should say that. I think that some of it had to do with, at the time, the limitations of a lot of CG, at least on a television budget right, right. and schedule. But also there is, I think early on, we tried to, to keep some continuity, visual continuity with the characters with Genndy's Clone Wars. Right. If you look at the early Dooku design, especially, sure. he looks a lot like Genndy's Dooku. And then when you put him next to Anakin, he doesn't really like work as well. Yeah. And I think early on, that was definitely you know an issue. And I know, kind of just like I spoke before about the the... Um, Clone Wars, not the Clone Wars, but the, the Phantom Menace and, and George kind of like having that memory of, wait, I want to see the actors. I think that definitely he wanted to feel the actors more um, in characters, especially like Anakin and Obi-Wan. Right. So when you put all of those characters together, there's definitely a, a difference in stylization. But also, Darren, at least in my mind, there's a level of Macquarieism. To the to that sort of language, where there is a hyper reality mechanical aspect to the backgrounds, but then there is a certain kind of stylized graphic quality to almost painter the characters to the characters, and that was definitely like I I think we did some early tests where we we tried to take the quarry paintings and separate them into levels and like put them onto uh, geometry just to see like how does that work, and that was definitely a huge influence for Rebels and I think
1: I why a lot say, of people you know, thought
0: Rebels looked warmer and felt mm-hmm. lighter and happier, more optimistic is because um, we definitely like, had a stronger influence from uh, mm. Macquarie and Rebels. That's Although, interesting. I, go ahead. No, no, no. Keep, keep your thought. Oh, I ju- just, just so you know, yeah, I mean Macquarie, um, you know, Killian Plunkett, Tangley, those guys really brought um, the Macquarie into the, the Clone Wars as well. And and wherever we could um, you know pay homage to him, we certainly did. Yeah, I, I wonder go, go ahead, ahead Darren. Uh, well, I was gonna it's... go ahead.
3: <laughs> I hate, I hate <laughs> Zoom! I hate it. <laughs>
2: go ahead, go ahead, Darren. No, it 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 certainly looks at and I think that part of the part of the way that it works is because the characters aren't being treated as photoreal humans. Because as soon as you approach that, that uncanny valley, it never works. It never works because, because the technology just isn't there to do that. And so I think stylizing them as, as you guys did, uh, it works so much better. And, and having the backgrounds uh, very hyper real as you did.
0: Yeah, I mean, when, when you also, it's funny. I think at the same time we were working on um, Clone Wars, I think in the Bay Area, they were doing the Beowulf movie yeah which kind of has that like you're watching the zombie people walk around and it's if if we could compare it to that we definitely wanted to have our humans stylized but the humans had to also be stylized because we're dealing with so many alien species right and there's this weird thing that happens when you have a cg Mm -hmm. alien on the screen you suddenly buy it (laughs) you accept it because Mm -hmm. it's not supposed to be human so you're not comparing it to human right but we know what Anakin looks like. He looks like Hayden Christensen, right? Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, we know it's McGregor. So you're
3: always going to compare that slightly to it. Um, anyway. Which is why Mr. Ariks looks so good in the Star See, I'm bringing it back to Star Trek. That's why Mr. <laughs> Ariks looks so good in the animated series versus many of the actual actors. Um, so I do want to ask you, because, you know, the show when it begins is much more swashbuckling adventure, a little lighter. And as it goes on, much like the prequel trilogy itself, it becomes darker and darker. Was that a conscious um, a plan or is that, did that just evolve in the writing of it?
0: Um, it definitely evolved in the writing of it. Um, George would go through writers. I worked on the first season and a half and then he brought in live action drama writers to work on the second season and then another set of writers for the third season and fourth. And then he didn't even have a staff writer. He had, you know, Filoni kind of in charge of the overall story. And then they brought in guys to work on scripts. A lot of mm-hmm. writers from like 24 live action drama. So George definitely wanted that. Early on, he, would, he kind of wavered back and forth because he wanted to actually have it be fun and they're definitely much more swashbuckling. Most of those stories, you know, um, definitely, um, for better or worse, came from me um, because I always wanted to capture that swashbuckling from A New Hope um, and Return of the Jedi, right? So but I felt there was definitely room for, for darkness, but not all the time because Star Wars is about hope. So I would always try to put some kind of positive thing going on. I think later on having showing dark Jedi, um, you know, or ordering their clones into, you know, um, to their deaths, that kind of stuff that's serious, dark stuff. And I think that's the stuff that happens in war and it's amazing. And I think it's a great evolution because I think the audience kind of grew up with the series. So for me, it was, it was like perfectly acceptable, but I think also George always wanted to do new stuff. So, you know, we did a lot of the swashbuckling stories early on, and then you know he wanted to touch on stories that were
3: definitely um, more adult, yeah. um, more mature. Because by the time you bring Darth Maul back, I mean it, that's that's pretty dark stuff with the with the witches and and um, uh, with it, it, you know Darth Maul. I mean, it goes to a, you know pretty dark place. And I mean it's, I mean you know Lucas would say oh, this is a show for kids. But I clearly, uh, you know, it's not, uh, you know, uh, uh, just, I mean, that's why I think I wanted to do this show, because this is not just a show for kids. It's a show for adults and anyone who loves Star Wars. It's just great drama. So, um, and was it interesting? and, And, you know, at what point did you decide you wanted to kind of bring back characters like? Darth Maul you know that it's you know that maybe a lot of people were disappointed didn't get more love in the in the live action movies
0: I think um bringing back Darth Maul was after I had left and the only reason I knew about it was it was late like one night and Filoni called me from his car on the way home and he's like um I need to write I need you to write a comic book story and I'm like what what for what he's like well it needs to be a tie-in for what we're going to do for the season four or whatever i'm like what is it you need to figure out how darth maul lived <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well he was only cut in half so and i'm like wait a minute he's cut in half george made sure that like you know he would see him split
3: into two pieces so there's no mystery it's not he, the put his, uh, he put his katra he put his cotra into obi-wan <laughs> oh wait i keep mixing it up <laughs> <laughs> <What>? forget so, <laughs> so he said
0: like, write this story for how it happens and then just have him end up here because that's where he's going to be it's like he, he's cut in half
2: come right. on guy, i really he, think no I, way he i really think you missed an opportunity of just bringing his legs back
4: <laughs> <laughs> and, and just now, say like, here he is <laughs> It it not only like you bring him back like he actually spoke. I mean like he wasn't monosyllabic. He was non-syllabic, and then suddenly he's speaking like this. You know, and it's just <laughs> wow. Okay, cool. I mean, I, I mean, I will say, Caden. Um, like whenever the the logo for Clone Wars return red because we knew it was a Darth Maul episode. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> just go, yeah, Darth Maul, dad. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Bail Organa is obviously
3: not <laughs> Well, let, let me ask you, um, because you mentioned, you know, the comic books. You know, in season three, you got to adapt your own slaver's arc from the comic book. What was that like, where, you know, you're literally, and, and normally there's such a, a division between the licensed merchandise and the shows. But in this case, you're adapting your own work for, you know, canon.
4: Long have Sith Empire has been built upon the backs of slaves.
0: Anakin has struggled to put his past behind him.
4: I'll keep an eye on him.
0: Yes, make sure you do. <laughs> Yeah, this is the weird thing, which was, I had pitched that idea, and it was like, yeah, so a planet full of people get kidnapped and sold into slavery. And the producer's like, there's we can't produce that. It's impossible. And so, um, and I'm like, yeah, but I think the story is really, you know, compelling, because, you know, it's Anakin. He's going to touch on all his, like, being a slave stuff, and, and like, you know, how, you know how did he mature and all that stuff? And she's like, okay, okay but she, I didn't find this out until later. She never showed it to George. So what happened was, was George saw the comic book after it came out and went, yeah, oh, this is really good. Why don't we, why don't we do this? <laughs> oh, that's funny. And so, and so Dave called me for season four and said, oh, by the way, George wants to do your comic book. And so, so it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, and and those guys killed it they they did a terrific terrific job so um yeah so i i basically adapted the four comics into three episodes i think um yeah it's a, it it was actually i don't i'm not sure i know of another uh, experience of that happening on something that george worked on personally where you know he's he took something that, that was, and kind of brought it, brought it into you know, something. I mean, he definitely brought in characters, I think, like Quillen Voss and, you know, um, who were, who were, had bigger presences in the comics, you know, um, right, right. Definitely Ventress, right. But, but, so anyway, it was my pleasure to, to be a part of that.
3: And when, um, you know, obviously the release of the movie, the Clone Wars movie was a bit of a marketing gimmick. Uh, when did that come to your attention that they wanted to release, uh, a movie and you know how, what were your feelings about like the fact that it was going to get uh, you know a theatrical release before the show debuted
0: oh um i was horrified actually and um the reason why was those first three episodes were the very first thing we produced mm. and as you were saying darren the designs evolved as the series went on they definitely got better and um subtlety and acting effects just we are were allowed to do, I think, as far as locations, characters. I mean all all of it, all of it was one of those things. And um yeah, most people don't know this and maybe you guys do, but um the it was definitely the what I call the castle series, where three episodes, and then I think episode twenty-two was engineered to go on the front of it to be the first mm-hmm. twenty-two minutes. So it wasn't really in my mind a film so much as it was like four chapters. Mm-hmm. However, you know, when you look at it, you know, um, I think there's some amazing work in it and, and I don't want to diminish the work of anyone, but I think from a storytelling point of view, I was so kind of horrified because I was like, Oh crap, this is supposed to be three chapters, not three chapters with a new prologue. That makes sense. So, but, um, um, and you know, I, I know when, we, when you look back on something, I think we've all looked back on our work and went, Oh, I wish I could do that thing again. That's definitely, I think, the feeling. Especially George does. (laughs) Um, I don't think so. He was really happy with it.
3: No, I'm talking about his early work. Oh, you. You know, the early funny ones. Um, (laughs) I'm wondering about, um, uh, you know, it's funny because we talked about the first couple episodes. I don't think there's any uh, uh, showrunner or creator or writer that would ever point to their first couple episodes of the TV series as their best. I mean, I don't know, maybe lost, but I mean, it's so rare that, uh, you know, obviously you're finding the show. It's always tough. So the idea of like releasing your first couple of episodes, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's completely. Understood.
0: Oh my gosh. Uh, you, you are absolutely right. It's funny. It's like, I think the first Clone Wars episode to air was the Yoda one. And that was episode mm-hmm. six. I mm-hmm. have this theory. Usually you start to figure out the show around episode five or six. Right. And it was definitely that way on Rebels. I think on other shows I've worked on too. So, yeah, my show it's twenty three. I've almost got it.
3: <laughs> well, and especially given how much R and D you had to do, because you really were inventing the wheel, uh, as you said, starting an animation house from scratch, and you know pushing technology. Yeah, you know the first couple episodes. There's no way those are going to be your, you know, your best episodes. You know, there's no world in which that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, when you when you look at episodes, you know. From that, you know, fourth
3: season, fifth season. Wow,
0: there is some amazing work um, as far as the scale, you know, subtlety of acting, the staging, the lighting. But those guys really got it down. And I, and I think having someone like George behind it, who basically said, "Yeah, we are going to push it, and we're going to do these adult stories," you know. I think there's one. <laughs> I think I'm allowed to say this. I think there's one really great um, scene and adventurous story where. She she runs a she's fighting clones and she runs she stabs a clone in the chest and then I think in the the Cartoon Network version she pulls the sword out and walks away I think in the uncut version she stabs him in the chest and then kisses him on the mouth or something yeah <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, I'm, and I and I think it was one of those things where you know, Cartoon Network was afraid to or was, you know, Trump is about asking George to make a cut. He's like, yeah, I don't care because we're just going to put out the DVDs and people are gonna that's what people are going to want to enjoy the series. Because right. he was thinking about the long game of, right. you know what, sure. people are hopefully we're going to make this show great. And people are going to watch it for mm-hmm. years and years and years. And, and he is absolutely right. Yeah. So
4: even the Clone Wars had a special edition. Um, <laughs> So I have a question about the other side right not just the, the visual design of the characters and the world, but the performances the casting because what I one of the things I most appreciate about the show is that the acting on it is is really quite excellent and you know one of the the, the bars I think that your your actors have to to overcome is that they're they're not just um, being themselves right they're doing a little bit of karaoke right like um, <laughs> weirdly the the actor who's playing obi-wan kenobi is doing his imitation of ian mcgregor doing his imitation of elegance you know it's and yet he is compelling uh the actor who plays anakin skywalker is okay let's just say that he's a little better than maybe um but you know the, the my god then you look at somebody like d bradley baker who you know in one arc of episodes plays like he carries episodes as the clones, right? Six or seven different clones. They all basically look alike. It's dark. And yet he manages to infuse in each of them um, a very specific personality in spite of the lack of vocal separation. So I can only imagine that the casting process for you guys on this show was, uh, I, I can't even get my head around how tough that be.
0: Um, yeah, actually all of that. Can I just agree with you? <laughs> sure. I love how people disagree with me. Ask my wife. <laughs> um, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that's one of those things where, uh, initially we did bring in someone who, who like was doing Hayden Christensen for the first, you know, little bit. And it didn't work out because we, we wanted a, a the, the kind of hero, but also someone who had the warmth, um, of, of who George wanted Anakin to be. And I think Matt Lander, man, that guy is amazing. Oh he brings it because it's like, even though, oh, even though he doesn't sound exactly like Hayden, he really embodies Anakin. Ziggurrian scum! I'll handle that slaver. Anakin, he asked for me. I need you to locate the missing Togruta colonists. Fine. I'll have Admiral Yularen initiate a planetary bioscan. Why is he so upset? Anakin has never talked about his past, has he?
4: Only to tell me he won't talk about it.
0: As a child, Anakin and his mother were sold into slavery by the Hutt clans.
4: Oh... And these Zygerians, they're slavers.
0: Anakin has struggled to put his past behind him.
4: (sighs) Don't worry, I'll keep an eye on him.
0: Yes. Make sure you do. And and you're you're absolutely right about James Arnold Taylor doing Obi Wan Kenobi. He's fantastic. Because mm. you're absolutely. I don't know if it's been said, but the way you kind of distilled down, yeah, he's he's doing. You know, uh, you know, like doing. You know, it's it's one of those things where he just is the character. But then. James is so versatile, he's also Master Clo at the same time. You know, and and several other characters. He's very, extremely versatile. That's very important in animation, too. Ashley um, was one of those um, characters and and I think uh, actors that was a little tougher because we really wanted someone who had spirit, but yet they had to sound young. And not young necessarily physically, but just new to the galaxy, and and our entire point of view and and approach in telling the Clone Wars story was, we know what happens to Anakin, Obi-Wan, Mace, Yoda, we know what happens to them. This one character, we don't know what happened. Is she going to live? Is she going to die? She was really our Luke.
4: She's the the one character in that show truly who is new to the audience, Um, and who, before she arrived on your page, didn't have an existence. So, uh, I mean, was it was it a um, part of the process for you? Did, that, did, did Ashley's performance um, help you find who Ahsoka was? Did, did that performance help you unlock things about her relationships with other characters? Like how did, um, how did the performance help to grow Ahsoka as, as we know her?
0: I, I uh, boy, I think every day. I think it was part of it had to do with a lot of times actors come in and they are not really familiar with all of the intricacies of the lore so the fact that she didn't know every detail um she'd seen the movies but she didn't know all of it and i think <laughs> we did one of these weird things where we used fake names you know when we were casting it you know you're gonna do the the, the you're gonna do the uh character for zeb star killer you know and it was anakin or whatever so we definitely um we definitely played that and when we told her like you got the part for this new character, you know, she's gonna be kind of the star of the show, she was like, oh cool. You know, like she didn't really realize it. And part of that was kind of awesome because then she could grow into the Mm role. And I think bring the light of like, you know what? Here is this young person. She's 13 years old. She suddenly she's grew up in a temple on Coruscant, um hasn't really seen the world and then she's thrust on the front lines of a war, going from planet to planet. And that's something that we wanted to do for our audience was introduce the audience to the galaxy through Ahsoka's eyes. And with every episode, the more that Ashley, you know, brought life to this character, we began to kind of feel the experience that she was getting as she
3: was kind of interacting with Anakin and Obi Wan. Um, i gotta say that has to be pretty gratifying for you because when ahsoka was introduced there were a lot of people there was pushback who didn't like her you know they would they didn't like the character and now uh, she's probably the single most popular character in the franchise i mean you have all these people who were you know screaming for her to be a live action character they were begging her to be in rise of skywalk now she's going to be in mandalorian but it, it's uh it, it's it's It'd be gratifying that you create this character that just becomes you know a fan favorite and is right on par with you know darth vader and luke skywalker and you know mace windu and all these legendary characters
0: um it's extremely satisfying and also just the inspiration i think to a, a generation of young women who were inspired by her mm-hmm. and i I, <laughs> I didn't realize it also um, before i start about the good stuff let me give you the bad stuff i don't know who the a-hole is who wrote the august um, 2008 version of Entertainment Weekly. He wrote an article like the ten worst characters in Star Wars, and Ahsoka. Was Lance never- Shulman. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I never forgot that because I'm going like, oh man, you have to give her a chance and 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 let her grow into the character that we know she's going to grow into. Because she can only grow up to be this amazing character with Obi Wan and, and Anakin, you know, between the two of them. So, um, yeah, it's extremely gratifying, and I, I'm super excited. I, I didn't really realize it until I think I saw um, uh, the season season one finale of Rebels when Ahsoka returns. Mm-hmm.
3: Spoiler! <laughs> Sorry. Spoiler alert! We've had plenty of time. Okay, okay, okay. And and
0: somebody sent me a reaction video of all these kids screaming and crying and running around and jumping up and down. And you're like, oh wait, that's right. She was a character that was super important to it. Like this, this this second generation of Star Wars fans. So. Yeah, extremely gratifying. And I feel uh, very
3: fortunate to have been part of creating her. Absolutely. It's funny. The other day, I went up to my son. He was really upset. Isaac, who asked you those questions. And he says, uh, I said, well, you know, why are you so upset? because he goes, you know, well, Clone Wars is ending next week. And I said, uh, I know, but you got all these extra episodes. And I know you're upset. that." He says, it's "Not, I'm, I'm not upset that it's ending. I'm upset that Anakin is becoming Darth Vader because I uh... love Anakin so much. And it was like... And, and, you know, he loves Darth Vader, but he's so, you know, Matt has done such a remarkable job with Anakin. I mean, look, it's no secret, I'm not a fan of the prequels, but man, I love him, in, and I love everything about Clone Wars, you know. So um, it's, it's, it's really remarkable. And I, I just thought that was, that was wild, that that was his feeling, knowing how he feels about Darth Vader. I mean, he just figures, figured, you know, finished building Darth Vader's castle. Up mustafar at a lego and so i mean i'm like what's wrong with Darth vader anyway um uh, but look before we wrap up we got to talk about rebels which we're giving short shrift to and it doesn't deserve it because it's a remarkable show tell me what happened when you know you're basically asked to do it again it's like we're gonna do it again we're gonna do rebels now we're gonna do another show and you know clone wars had become this critically acclaimed show the fans loved it people loved it and now you know hey we're gonna do it again and you're gonna have less money and you have less time and you know and all this and it's like and you know and it's it's as good if not better than clone wars in my opinion so what, what do you tell us how you did it or what you thought this is master obi-wan kenobi
0: i regret to report that both our jedi order and the republic have fallen in a time of darkness when fear ruled the galaxy. Move along. This is a restricted area. Heroes will rise. Enter in hyperspace. Destinies will collide. Who is that kid? And a rebellion will
2: ignite. I'm going to snuff out this spark before it catches fire.
3: What happened down there? He did. We need an opening. Found one!
1: Kids, stop!
0: Sounds like someone I used to know.
2: All troopers, focus your fire on... on the Jedi.
0: Our future is uncertain. But in time, a new hope will emerge.
3: Your parents must be worried sick.
0: I don't have parents. The Force is strong
3: with you, Ezra. Come with us. Learn what it truly means to be a Jedi.
0: Oh, I, I, I mean, I don't feel very fortunate, you know. Simon Kinberg, Dave, um, Carrie, they, they brought me in um, in in season one to help with the writing, um, and I, it, it's one of those things where because that. I had never really stopped thinking about Star Wars. Um, so I was ready to, I was just ready to kind of step in and continue working on it. And I think we knew we were making a show for Disney. This was after Disney had had um, purchased Lucasfilm. So there was a little bit of like, uh, I think cert- uncertainty, like, hey, you know what? We should probably bring in guys who we know can make this show. And I think there was a f- false start, you know, with the first writer they brought in. Um, so it was like, can you come in and, 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 and because I had a, a rapport with Dave in, in telling Star Wars stories, it was easier for me to just hit the ground running and go with it. So there, that was definitely part of it, but I never stopped thinking about how to make a Star Wars story. And I think that's the key is people go like, well, what is that? Like, what is a Star Wars story? What is that to you? And I always like look back and I go, okay, besides like the historical sources that George draws on it's like this stew of his favorite cinema. He is a kid who grew up right in the fifties and Mm sixties. So yeah, it's, 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 uh, you know, two tablespoons of, of cereal, right. Cerealized Flash Gordon, you know, with some Westerns and a samurai, right. Mix in some war movie, all of that kind of adds up and feels like star Wars. And it's not something that I think a lot of people try to imitate it. They try to capture it, but it's, it's not something that's easy to write. You have to think about it, and I and I know you guys are huge fans, and and probably the same thing for Star Trek. What makes that Star Trek story feel like a Star Trek story? So, so much. Don't try to, to steer
4: us back into Star <laughs> Trek. Give <laughs> you examples of things that don't feel like Star Trek stories, and then we'll get in trouble with many of the listeners. <laughs> so,
0: so my biggest—I'll tell you this one thing. My biggest response to and Disney was super supportive of us. My, my biggest biggest response to like the notes I would get was I'm not making a Disney branded show. I'm making star Wars. Right. Well, and that was sort of like my end all, like I'm not going to take that note because I have to be true to what a star Wars story is not something else. And, and that I think was, you know, having the, the support of, of, you know, the folks at Lucasfilm and, and the immense talents um, and. From the animation, the color and design, everybody everybody is really united in
3: making this one thing great. And it always shows up on the screen. You see it. And isn't that the triumph of that show? So many people had a chip on their shoulder about it because they were upset. They felt this was the show that killed Clone Wars and that Disney was going to kidify it. And then you you, you you, basically showed them all how it was done. You said, wrong. And you know, Rebels came out. And the same people that were attacking it and hating it Uh, fell in love with it, you know, and I think, again, it's, it's another triumph.
0: Yeah. I think when you have to fight a little, it helps you, you know, I think there was an early bit of um, like marketing work that had Ezra riding chopper, like a skateboard. And I go, I never want to see that again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah because i go that's the poochie of it and i go someone's gonna look at that and go oh he's space aladdin it's like no no that's not what we're doing and and eventually they came around and it, and towards the end it's like whoa you know you guys have taken this show just to to heights we never imagined and i think i wish i wish more outlets would do that go wait we hired you guys storytellers not necessarily on star Wars, but whatever to, to come in and make this great show. Let us make it.
3: Amen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, look, I, I think I'm so glad we did this episode. I, I, I don't know if our star, Trek, some of our star Trek fans are as glad as I am, but I, I think this is fascinating and, and, uh, congratulations on a remarkable run with both these shows. Um, and I'm sure there'll be many in the future. And can you, can you tell us what you're working on now? Or is that uh, much like Ashley uh, classified? It, unfortunately
0: it is classified. I can't talk about it. I'm hoping they'll, they'll talk about it soon. But, but until yeah. then um, I can't. So um, it's great. Poochy, thank you so much it? for it's having poochy. me. It's Poochie. It is <laughs> Dang it. How did you know? <laughs> but, well, but thank cool. you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you guys. You guys are awesome.
3: Yeah. Th- thanks Henry. Oh, it's always good to see you even if it's, virtually and uh, thank you Ashley for uh, joining us once again and to everyone out there, uh, all you, uh, all you people out there listening to Inglorious Tregsverse. Thanks for joining us for another episode. We'll be back next Saturday with an all new episode. And if you just can't get enough of us talking about Star Trek and Star Wars, you may <laughs> want to download the electric now app, which is now in your favorite app store where you can not only listen to your favorite electric surge podcast, you can watch them. You can see us you can, that's scary i know but it's, it's, it may be interesting for you i don't know but a uh, download electric now at your favorite app store and in addition to all your favorite electric now podcasts like the inglorious trexperts and the 430 movie and the rebel and the rogue and uh um, the great best movies never made um you can also watch great stuff from the electric library like the librarians and the outpost and a ton of really great movies uh and um can i say so can i say one more thing absolutely i, I but obviously
0: besides uh uh, uh is the the chief storytelling partner on um star wars and rebels i couldn't have done it without uh my my writing partner Stephen melching never uh, heard I of just- him just <laughs> He, I know he, I I just heard a bunch of lies he's told on your galaxy quest
3: podcast. So I (laughs) don't know that guy. He's full of crap. (laughs) Like Steve's the best. He's super talented. Um, you know, obviously he's
2: prepared. He's he's
3: very prepared. Like a good boy scout. We're so happy (laughs) for him. You know, obviously we're all privy to what he's doing right now. It's so great to finally see, um, you know, that the, uh, the learner has become the master. You know the Padawan has become the uh, so we're all so happy for me. Such a great guy couldn't yeah. happen to a better guy, and I know you had a lot to do with that. So that, that's fantastic. And uh, and again, um, we'll uh, see you uh, next Saturday here on Inglorious Treks. Wait, right? is that what I say, hey, Darren? Uh, I don't have the, the script in front of me. I say but, something like, uh, I think that's keep, close enough. I say, keep on trekking, ingloriously, right. of course. And then you say, then I go. And I say engage or I should say for this episode, may the force be with you until next week.